Hey guys, what is up and welcome back to the show. Um, unfortunately, I cannot place my microphone, so this is coming from my phone. Hopefully the quality sounds A-OK still. Um, yeah, but this episode, we, we, obviously Roland Garros is going on. Um, NBA playoffs is going on. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. And uh, just right now, I kind of want to touch on for a second the whole NIL thing is I am honestly in belief of Nick Saban. I think he's right. Lane Kiffin had already said stuff about Jimbo Fisher possibly paying for his recruiting class. And I think I think the same way. Would Texas and him have a good recruiting class without NIL? Yeah, they would. But I just don't think it would be the best in the country. And not only that, like other things like like Coach Sanders, you would, like, honestly, dude, like, I I don't really know what else goes into recruiting, but I'm sorry, the best recruit in the country isn't going to flip from a Power 5 school um, if there wasn't some sort of incentive involved. So that's kind of why recruiting might become a little bit broken with denial, which is why I believe... Should should players be able to make money from their name? Yes, I believe that should be a good thing. But I don't think that money should be coming in any way, shape, or form from the school. The school shouldn't be paying to recruit them to come there. They shouldn't be paying them to play for them. It should be like, oh, I don't know. I play for UVA, and uh, there's some, I don't know, Preston's, uh, I don't know, groceries in uh Charlottesville, and that they're paying me, I don't know, for the, over the course of the four years I'm at UVA, uh, we'll give you $200,000 or whatever. Yeah, that, like to endorse your products, be in ads, that type of thing. But I don't think the school should be like, yo, Preston, $3 million, come, come to UVA. No, I don't think that should be the case. And see, if that's also the case, that makes it so that the mid-level schools and lower-level schools have absolutely no shot of improving because the decent recruits will decent to like like the threes fours and five stars i don't think it happens as much with three stars but the fours and five stars are going to start going to wherever they get paid the most and I, that's where football can start to become corrupted it's for how much how much do i get how much do i get to come here versus why should i come here like what like will i start uh are the facilities nice is the academics good because I, I care about academics that type of thing Instead, it'll just become, how much, how much are you paying me for me to come here? Which would make me believe that it would make this all sports, all sports that involve NIL worse. Because then they'll be coming to play football or whatever. They might not like the team. They might not like the facilities. They might not like whatever, the academics, whatever. Whatever's going on at the school because they only came because they were paid to come there. They didn't go visit and be like, oh, yeah, I like these facilities. I, I like these teachers, I, that, that type of stuff. So I think, you know, I'm going to come here. I like everything about this place. Instead, it can become, yo, I made $2 million. That's why I'm coming here versus versus them convincing you to come which is what recruiting should be and so really in closing on that should players be able to make money I think so should they be able to make it from the school and before they even get to the college no so yeah that that's my little take on that but anyways let's hop right into this episode oh wait wait actually no no mind
pause. Y'all definitely want to know where I've been past almost three weeks uh, exam time at school. And now I I have an exam in the morning. This all So I started studying last week, and I had an exam Monday through Thursday this week. Uh, I don't have school next week because, like, Memorial Day weekend. Then I'll take my last one next Tuesday, which is the math one. So you take uh, uh, Monday through Thursday this week. And so I had to study for that last week. I had to finish writing a paper for the exam that I had to turn in, which was worth 25% of my English exam. And I would take the exam in the morning. And so you think, yeah, you have time to make a podcast in the afternoon, 8.30, 10.30 after that. But... Then I have to study. I got to get other stuff. Like, I still have sports. I still have uh, studying to do, other stuff to do. And so, just really didn't allow time for a podcast. But we are back here now, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. lately because that's something that i've started playing recently and honestly one of the better sports games and it's it's kind of making me go into soccer a little bit i I don't really know what to say about that because i've never really followed soccer before and now i'm following it like it's i don't know i think it's just one of the better like the manager thing it's like all inclusive it's like all in like you get to do everything and you don't really you don't really like you ever notice with 2k how when you play it it's i don't know easy the my gm that's not really how it is with this and that that's what makes it more fun but anyways so yeah that that that's stuff i'll be doing but anyways uh Let's talk a bit about Roland Garros. Um, so now there's a few matches that I could talk about in particular, like Ramos Vinolas and uh, Alcaraz. So let's do that for a minute. So Ramos Vinolas, he dropped the first set, and then he won the next two, and really made Alcaraz work for the win. But so it went to I think that's how the sets went down. But anyway, so it went into the fifth set. Ramos Vinolas, he has it three zero. He has a chokehold on. On Alcaraz, but he just couldn't get it done. And so, you know, that for me is another reason what is going to make Alcaraz a champion because of the fact that he is 18 years old. It's the second round of a major. Um, doesn't have too many uh, major, major experience. He's won quite a few matches at majors, but he doesn't have a lot of experience at it. And he's still able to like come out and and be like 
yeah, yeah, you're up 3-0 in this fifth set. Usually players would crack under that pressure or crack under the pressure when they're winning, but he just doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to do that. And if he's able to do that at such a young age in his career, then it's just going to be a lot better for him in the future. But now you wonder, he's playing Sebastian Corda, the only person to beat him on clay this year. And you wonder how the fifth setter uh, the, the other day, because Vanolis uh, is going to kind of affect how he's able to to manage things because he's really going to have to hopefully have a really good recovery day because that's going to be important for him. But honestly, Corda, I mean, what, I mean, Alcaraz has already shown ways that he could be beaten in this tournament. Like, because the other day, it just seemed like he wasn't, he was at his best, but he wasn't, like, his main, some of his main shots just weren't necessarily there the whole time. And so, if, if Korda can take advantage of, of Alcaraz's mistakes, if they come back again, then he's really going to have a good time in this match, because he's going to be able to beat him, um, and... It was the line on DraftKings or whatever. It was like six and a half games. And then plus, uh, what was it, 500, I think. I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be a lot closer. It's going to be... I. The only way it goes only three sets is if Korda poops in the bed and Alcaraz decides that he's going to play out of his mind. Um, because obviously fatigue has to come into a little bit of a factor for him. Alcaraz, he's only 18 years old. Um, he hasn't done this for years like a lot of these other players have. And so that it just that's just going to be a fun match to watch tonight in the third round. And so something that I'm looking forward to, and Nadal, he gets his run going. Um, he beat, who did he beat in the first round? I don't, I don't even remember. Who did he play? I know it was 2-2. Two, two, oh, Jordan Thompson, that's right. Um... Beat Jordan Thompson easily. And then, what was it? I think it was Mutet in the third round. Yeah, Mutet. Um, and Mutet, he had some flashes of brilliance in that match. But just overall, Nadal, he's just pretty unstoppable on the clay. There's not much you could do with him. Except you, you're going to have to take massive risks. And with those massive risks, very few unforced errors. And that's just really, that's just really hard to do against... The greatest of all time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Debate, debate with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, greatest of all time. Um, um, and yeah, so Nadal, so, but he's going to get his first real test. Van de Sanschlup, who's been playing probably his best tennis over the course of the last year, which is why he's seated in this major. Um, and something else I want to talk about too. Kolar. I do, do not ask me how to pronounce his first name. I have no idea. Comes in there, he's got his own clothing brand and everything. He played in 15 majors before this one, all, all in the qualifiers. And this is the first time he's really been able to cross the finish line and get in. And before this tournament as well, one main draw match. And of all the challengers combined, that whole entire purse, not just his prize money, the whole entire purse, all those events he's played combined, has been less than what the French Open is alone. And not only that, he comes in... And he wins a match. Like, he, he's got no major, literally no major experience. He's only 25 years old, so he could have a good future. I think he will based off that performance yesterday if he's able to reproduce it. But practically no experience. One main draw, tour-level match win. And after this first round at Roland Garros, he really makes the most of it. And really, if you think about it, the crazy part is no experience at all. 
he could have won. Like, he could have won. Like, yeah, he dropped the first set relatively, like, routinely in terms of what Sitsipas probably would have to say about it. Like, just a normal first set going to the better player. But then he takes the second set. Or no, did he? No, 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 I'm sorry. He didn't take the second set, but he had he had three set points in that second set, I'm pretty sure. Three or four set points. And then the fourth set, he would end up... No, okay. Let me restart that whole thing. First set goes to Sitsipas, relatively routinely. Not easy, not hard. And pretty much had his nose out in front the whole time, but Kolar started to get to a rhythm after about going down that early break. And then Sitsipas won the second set. But Kolar had multiple opportunities and multiple set points. Uh, I guess inexperience could kind of come into play there. <laughs> um, and then the third set, he would cross the finish line. He would get the set 7-6. So now he's down 6-3, 7-6. But then he won the third set 7-6. And um, then 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 the fourth set comes along. They're both battling out at, it out. Like they're, uh, he, Kolar's really doing a good job. He's using his drop shot, his slice, and really doing a good job. I think he realized that his backhand isn't going to be able to stick with Sitsipas's. So he's doing a good, really good job. I noticed him like favoring the forehand side, the ad side, because he's right-handed a little bit more. So then he can get more forehand, so he can get more offensive. Because when he was able to get a good grip on that forehand, like he was a lot of the time, he was able to stick it deep into the court to Sitsipas's backhand. That's something that I noticed to help him get shorter balls. And the drop shot of on him, was working very very effectively. Like he came in, knew he was the underdog, and had a had a plan on yo. What am I gonna be able to do to have even have a chance of beating uh, a guy like Sitsipas who has the potential to win the whole tournament? And so I think it's just a really good fight from him. And what really disappoints me is in that not only did he have a chance. Um, he in that fourth set where he lost it, he was up six two in the tiebreaker, and then Sitsipas came back. He made it seven all. Maybe the moment just got a little bit large, but I just want to say, Kolar, someone you got to watch out for. This is going to be his biggest payday, ninety one thousand dollars. His rank is going to go all the way up to one seventeen, so fighting around the top one hundred. I think I think that's like sixty spots, sixty to eighty spots or something like that, and and just by far having his biggest tournament ever. Yeah, it's only the second round. But for him, this has to feel like he just won the tournament because that has to give up confidence because it, it shows commitment. But when you go 15 majors without it making it into the main draw, it's got to be a little demoralizing. And so I think this has to be like a confidence re- renewed moment. And if he's able to have a few good tournaments before Wimbledon, like at the, like the tune-ups before Wimbledon, then I don't see any reason why he has a good chance of making it into the main draw if he plays even 80% of what he did against Sitsipas because, I mean, not not everyone's Sitsipas, so if he plays someone in the first round of, like, a normal tournament, not a major, that's ranked, like, 70, 80 or whatever, got a good chance of winning, getting a few wins. But I think the main thing for him has got to be that, that, that confidence booster. And I could just tell from the sideline, when he was walking off the court, his coach just, like, which I think was his dad, just, like, clearly very proud and I don't there's no reason why you shouldn't be because my man's really no one did no one really knew who he was before now and now he's on the map and just a great tournament even in the second round exit for Kolar 
So I just want to spend a minute of time while we're on the topic of tennis, just go ahead and talk about the greatness of Iga Swiatek at the moment right now. Like 30, 30 wins in a row. Um, it's hard to think about. I don't know. I haven't really looked too closely. Here, why don't we just take a gander now? Like if we were to take a gander at a schedule. Um, so obviously your first two matches, 6260, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 
things, but then they couldn't. But for the Heat series, it's like punches. Like they're even, they're even, they're even, and then one quarter, it's like, oh, we're going to hit you with a uppercut 20 point, 20 point lead. Right? And then after that, the next game, it's like, like for example, forget, I don't know exactly what game order, but game one, he'd absolutely destroyed the Celtics in the third quarter. Then a couple of games ago, it was the same thing for the Celtics outscoring the Heat by 16. And then uh, the game before that, I think, the Heat were up 46 to 20 in the second quarter. Like, it's been a really, really good series, but, like, just the biggest roller coaster in the world as well. So it's just been really fun to watch, to be honest. Game 7, it's in uh, South Beach. It's going to be at 8.30 tomorrow. Um, and I want y'all to go subscribe to my YouTube channel, All Eyes on Sports. Same title as here. Um, it's The logo is going to be, like, it's it's the blue. It's, like, this blue thing with basketball. Um and I'm, I've been releasing some shorts. It's going to have a lot of highlights, some shorts of like some quick opinions that I have. Um, and that's what's going to be. I'm sorry this episode wasn't very, wasn't as long, was, didn't talk as much about basketball, but it's just been so long since I've made an episode. So I just felt like I needed to get one out there. Um, but anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you next time on the show.